James chapter 2. We're just going to read one verse. Look at verse 23. James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. I want to talk about being a friend of God this morning. Being a friend of God. Uh, I can't think of a higher honor. I, I would suppose there is no higher honor than being a son of God, a daughter of God, a friend of God, and having God as our friend. When Jeho- King Jehoshaphat was king and the uh, nation was being invaded by the Moabites who had a vast army, much bigger than Israel's at the time, Jehoshaphat turned to the Lord and he said, Art, that, art not thou our God? who did strive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. We all know that Abraham's called the friend of God. It's wonderful to see some actual places in Scripture where he is called that. Here's where the Lord actually calls him his friend in Isaiah 41, 8. But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. What a blessing to be called the friend of God by the Lord. And I ask this, the question this morning, and just keep it in your thoughts and in your heart as this message is being preached this morning, who is your friend? Who and what are you a friend of or the friend of? Friend means dear, fond, dear or fond or neighbor of. And so God calls Abraham his friend, my friend. And I want to start by looking at some things that we could be friends of that the Word of God says we're not to be friend. You know, God tells us not to be friends of certain things, right? And I'm going to start right off with the world. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, I'll just quote it to you, Love not the world, Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, listen to what he's saying. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. We're not to be a friend with the world. Well, didn't God love the world? God so loved the world? Yes, he loved the world Men he created in his image, desiring to reconcile them and redeem them to himself. He doesn't love the way the world functions. That's what he's talking about. Love not the world. Are you happy here? Are you happy like and content like Lot was? As a believer, the Bible calls a just man in Sodom, in the midst of that. Do you like that? Are you drawn to that? Do you love that? Are you a friend of that? Are you a friend of the world in that sense? There is a God of this world who is Satan. He's, the, he, he's come and he has but a short time. And he's here on this earth. And the Bible says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. And are we a friend of this world governed by that God? Not almighty God, but that, this God of the world for just a short season. Are we a friend of that? The Bible tells us, Paul says in the last chapter of the last epistle he wrote in 2 Timothy 4 and he's, he's signing off basically. He knows he's going to be martyred for the Lord. And he says uh, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed. 
we read of Demas and other of the epistles as a co-laborer of the gospel with Paul. But here at the end, he, he had a love and attachment to this world in an unhealthy way, not loving them, trying to reach the world for Christ, having, loving this world and wanting to be part of it. And he departed from Christ and he departed from the Apostle Paul. There's a wonderful scripture. If you're still in James, turn to chapter 4. This really sums it up as well as the other verses. James 4, 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Don't you know that? He's saying, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It's very clear. This is not some pastor trying to make you uh, conform to some, some pet belief that I have. We've looked at three scriptures, just this there. That friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. There's no neutrality. It's a friend of God and an enemy of the world or a friend of the world and an enemy of God. There's no middle ground. I think it's good that there's no middle ground. God wants us to take a stand. He wants us to live for the Lord. We don't always perfectly, but God is our God, and we can repent and come, come back to the Lord. But make no mistake, friendship with the world is enmity with God. What else can a man be a friend of and love that is not something we're not to as children of God to love? We can love our own selves, right? We can love ourselves. No man yet ever hated his own flesh, it says in Ephesians 5. Uh, people are self-preservationists, self-promotionists. What is all this, this self-stuff that's in the churches today? Self-love and self-forgiveness and self-respect and self... Uh, I don't even know what they all are, but all the self-things. And I always think about Job when I start thinking about uh, tr people trying to put a Christian twist somehow on loving self. Loving self, promoting self, respecting self. Uh, Job says, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I, my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I loathe myself and repent in dust and ashes. When he saw the Lord, like Isaiah saw him high and lifted up, he felt unclean. Okay, the Lord loves us when we're to love the Lord. Okay, I'm not talking about abusing yourself. I am saying it's unhealthy to love ourselves. The Bible tells us um, that we're not to. I want to just read this in, in, from Luke. We all know the, the scripture. Therefore, whosoever therefore will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. That's self. That's self. The Lord loves yourself. He loves you. And he wants to redeem you and he'll hold you up. But we're not to love ourselves. And that self-life has no place in the crucified life. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, I live. But it's really not me that's living. He's not self-preservationist. He's dead. His life is dead and hid in, in Christ with God. We're not to try to hang on to ourselves and promote selves and try to redeem uh, carry on the best of self into this new Christian walk. It doesn't work that way. It's a new life. It gives a new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And so we can be friends of ourselves to some extent or to a great extent and love ourselves 
and I love this, in, in Revelation 12, 11, Antichrist knows at that time, if you were just reading through it chronologically, he's cast down, and he knows he has but a short time, and he's bringing great persecution on the, the people of God. And there are believers, they're going to be tribulation martyrs. They're saved in the tribulation, and they will be martyred in the tribulation. It says they overcame him. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Y'all know the end of that? And they loved not their lives unto the death. They didn't love themselves. They loved the Lord. And the Lord loved them. And the Lord blessed them and, and rewarded them. Or is going to. That's actually future. What goes along with the self-life? Well, we can have all of our ambitions. Even, even y'all, this is where it gets a little more, I say, tricky to discern. What am I a friend of? We can have unhealthy ambitions and desires even as a Christian, even with, in, in church, even within the ministry. Where we so desire, I want a 5,000 member church and I will do what it takes to get there. I want my name known worldwide. Or yeah, That's just an example of you can have unhealthy ambition. I want to be able to do a solo on this platform on Sunday morning and sing. We can have unhealthy ambitions even in Christ, even in our Christianity. Truly be saved and have something that's unhealthy. We love that. We're a friend of that, so to speak. And we need to guard against that. There was a man, we don't know a whole lot about him, but John warns about him in 3 John. And when he says, uh, Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminent, he, he loves to have the preeminence among you. So this man, I don't know if he's a Christian or if he masqueraded as a Christian or if he really was, but within the body of Christ, within the church, he wanted to have a place of preeminence, a prominence, okay, to be first. So that, that's unhealthy. We're not to love that or be a friend of that. Here, we're really zeroing down on it. We're not to love the world. We're not to love ourselves and all the ambitions that go with it. We're also not to love or be a friend, listen, only of what God can do for us. Now, I want that to settle in for just a second. To be friends with what God can do for us, and that's what we love him for, basically. The Lord can do much for us. I just want to read this. My son, Solomon writes to, in Proverbs, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Following God. You know, it talks about the peace and the long life that the Lord. There's so many things that the Lord does for us. But you know who we're to, we're to be friends with? We're to be friends with God himself. To be a friend of God, to be called a friend by God. Don't be deceived, and I would say to myself and to everyone here, don't come short of it. We can be Christians and really be born again and come short of it. We can come short of that intimacy and that relationship with God. We have God, and we're, we love the Lord above all. And I think people can come short of it. We can stop somewhere short because we just get satisfied with his blessings. We get satisfied with his blessings and there's no greater blessing at all or possible than to be a friend of God. You know that the Lord is working to that end. What is the Lord working in our lives? Well, he's working to make us more like Christ. He's working to be glorified through our Christ, our lives. 
but he's also working to make us that, that friend, to bring that to a reality, to where we're friends with the Lord. We're saved by grace. We're justified and, and robed in the righteousness of Christ. It has to start there, but it doesn't finish there. And so much of Christianity today stops there. If I can wrestle, arm wrestle this guy into saying the sinner's prayer, then, it, then we're good. But that's not really what Jesus came and died for. He came to make disciples. And he tells us to make disciples and followers of the Lord. Listen what, what Jesus said. Henceforth, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Then he goes on and tells his disciples, henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father I have made known unto you. The biggest blessing of all is to be son of God, daughter of God, a child of God, a friend of the Lord, known as a friend of God. The Lord is working. You know how he works for the most part in our lives? We don't necessarily like it. The Lord works for the most part in our lives through trials. And he's working trials through our lives to bring that to be in reality Testings. Can I ask, is there anybody, I'm not asking for a show of hands, is there someone in this room that your faith is not being tested in some way? Everybody in this room, to a lesser degree or greater degree, your faith is being tested. Our faith is being tested. There are trials of our faith. We're being tested because circumstances may not be the way we want them to be or or the devil's attacking us with fiery darts to our, our mind and so forth. We're all being tested, sometimes more severely, severely than others. But the purpose of the test is that our faith would come through like pure gold, tried in the furnace of affliction, that we would, our faith would be strengthened. <clears throat> God wants to bring us to a very real place, listen, where we have God and we have God for himself. Just for himself. I have the Lord. And I have the Lord for the Lord. For himself. And we're thankful. We're very thankful for the blessings. You know the Bible tells us. Don't forget all of his benefits. Right? Bless the Lord on my soul. <clears throat> and we begin to think about all the blessings of God. We're thankful for those things. We're thankful for his blessings. We're thankful for what he accomplishes in and through our lives. We're thankful for all he's done for us, but he is working mightily in your life and my life and patiently in our lives to bring us to a state, I would say, in our hearts where we are thoroughly satisfied with him, just with him. Truly satisfied with, with him, having him as our Friend, having him as our Lord and Savior, we're not discontent. He wants to bring us to that place. He wants to bring us to a place where we're not seeking something else or something more or something besides the Lord. For he satisfies the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. God does that. I think sometimes we as Christians, and I would be guilty as anyone, we love the Lord. We would say we love the Lord. We're part of this faith. And we get very much caught up in the blessings of God or the lack of blessings from God. And we're praying for the blessings of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for those things. But I'm telling you, I believe the Lord is working all of it together 
to bring us to a place where we have him and we know that we have him and we're satisfied. Our soul is satisfied with the Lord. We're content. We have Almighty God as our friend and we're happy. Think how rare it is to find such a man or a woman who is truly satisfied with having Christ and having Christ alone. There's a song we sing sometimes, take this world from me. I don't need it anymore. I'm finally free. My soul, uh, my heart is spoken for. We're satisfied having that relationship with the Lord. Does he want to bless us with things? Yes, he does. Hallelujah. But the blessings are not the end in themselves. Christ is the end in himself. And he wants us to have him, not simply happy, but because he has blessed us, not happy with all of his blessings, but happy with the Lord. And so what God does in his kindness and love and wisdom, and we don't necessarily like it, he strips away things that, that either distract us. And just two weeks ago, I think I preached on, or a few weeks ago, preached on Abraham offering up Isaac. That the Lord would have all of Isaac, okay? This is a theme that the Lord's not letting me get away from right now in my preaching. But he graciously strips things away from our lives. He sends us into trials. He sends us into, and listen, because I, I know everybody here, some better than others, but he sends us into prolonged trials. Those are hard, aren't they? Prolonged trials. You know, I've always said it. I could take some excruciating pain for if it was about for 30 seconds. But when it lasts, you know, days and weeks and months, maybe even years, it's a, it's a different story. You, you can feel hopeless. Uh, God sends us through trials. He sends us through prolonged trials that he would strip things away from our lives that we would... Everything else would lose its value or importance to us besides Christ. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to bless our lives and with the blessings of God. He wants us to be satisfied and content, though, with him. And can I tell you, even through the trials and the severe trials and the prolonged trials, that our God graciously holds us in his hands and keeps us, that the fiery furnace does not totally consume us, he keeps us. He never puts upon us more than we can bear. It's a wonderful scripture. I'm going to read it to you from Ecclesiastes. You might think, we may not be very familiar with the book, but of course Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Just listen to this verse. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. All men have both of those days, don't they? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. He wants us to rejoice and be glad. And the Lord blesses us in, in some way. But in the day of consi adversity, consider. It takes a wise man to go. Anybody can be blessed. You can be an idiot and be blessed and, and be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also has set, who has the Lord? Has set the one against the other. A day of adversity in your life and a day of prosperity in your life. The Lord has set them both there. Listen to the end that man should find nothing after him. Is that amazing? The Lord is setting trials in your life, blessings, and days of adversity in our lives for this end, for this purpose. 
very simple, that man should find nothing after him. Not, his, not even his blessings after him. Nothing. The Lord takes those things away. That end, we're not to find anything, nothing after the Lord, nothing besides the Lord. There's nothing beyond the Lord. Well, I found Christ. I'm going to go deeper and find something beyond him. No, we, we go deeper in Christ, but there's nothing beyond the Lord, after him, besides him, that will satisfy. We all know the passage when Jesus turned to the twelve after many of his disciples left at some point in his ministry. He turned to the twelve and said, will you go away also? And, and we know this, what Peter said. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou art the Christ. Thou have the words of, of life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know what Peter was saying? We, where would we go? We have not, no one else besides you. Doesn't mean Peter was perfect or perfected in that day. But he understood. There's nowhere else to go. The Lord wants to bring us to a point where we are satisfied not only for his blessings and with his blessings and his benefits and his help and his deliverance, which he does and continues to do in our lives, but to be satisfied in him and with him, with Christ alone, for Christ alone. I'm satisfied with just being your friend. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for these blessings, peace of God and healings and deliverance. We're told to do that. God doesn't want us to be satisfied with those things. He is the satisfier of the longing soul. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's the one that satisfies and fills the thirsty soul with goodness and so forth. So how many of us, not asking for a show of hands once again, but how many in here as Christians seek God only for or maybe primarily for what he can do for us. What he can do for us. And we need to be careful. This is why we have to examine our hearts, don't we, and see. It's not evil or wicked to pray for these good things. We're to pray without ceasing. And a lot of times we're praying for, I need your peace, I need your joy. These are good things. Okay, he doesn't withhold any good things. But how many of us seek God only or mostly for the blessings that he can give to us, but yet it's really apart from him. We just want the blessing. And he wants us to be satisfied with himself. There's an interesting story, an account in Judges. You don't need to turn there, but there was a, this is the time in Judges. You know, it's the theme of that book, basically. It's before there were kings and after they were in the promised land, and it says that uh, Joshua had died, and it was a time when uh, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. God's people, the Jewish people, he made a covenant with, but the, every man did what was right in his own sight, in his own eyes. And there was a man named Micah, and he finds a, as a, a, a Levitical priest passing through town, and he says, who are you? Well, I'm so-and-so, and I'm a priest of the tribe of Levi. And, and uh, Micah says, where are you going? He goes, well, I'm looking for a place to, to, to stay, a place I can live, hang out. And Micah says, well, why don't you turn in here and be my priest, and I'll give you so much money and a change of clothes every year, 10 shekels of silver and a change of garments every year. 
you can be my priest right here. And he, the man says, that's good enough, good, pretty decent offer. And he turns in, and Micah says this, Then said Micah, now know I that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Anything about loving the Lord or desiring God? No, I know the Lord's going to do good, bless my crops and bless my house and bless my family and so forth because I have a true Levitical priest to, to be my priest in my house. And so a lot of times people, we have to be cautious and careful. They're good gifts, but we don't want the gift, and nor does God want us to have the gift in place of him or before him. We need to watch it. God can, we, we seek the Lord for wealth and prosperity and health and advancement in work and advancement in ministry. You know what? Jesus had, had multiplied the, the five loaves and the two fish and he fed 5,000 people. Then he, he kind of scooted away from him. The next morning, they all came running back to him. Same crowd. You know what Jesus told him? He says, verily, he says, you seek me not. You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. That's a rebuke, by the way. You're not seeking me because I'm a miracle-working God, that I'm God in the flesh, that I'm the promised Messiah who can multiply fish and loaves by offering it up to my Father and blessing them and feeding 5,000 or 100,000, whatever the case may be. You're not seeking me because of that, of who I am, and you want to draw near to me. You're seeking me because your belly got full yesterday on the fish and loaves. And sometimes I think as Christians, we can be the same way if we're not careful. It's not that our God does not want us to have these things. He wanted the people to have the fish and the loaves. And he wants you to have good things in your lives. He is our provider. Okay? He, 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 no good thing is he going to withhold from them that walk uprightly. We could go on and on. He wants us to have these things. From his, and he wants us to have them from his hand, to receive them from the hand of God. But he does not want us to have these blessings of God in place of God. There's a place of God that should be the preeminence, the all in all, the filling up the heart, a love for God above all, and the desire for God, God above all. Do we only serve the Lord because of what he can do for us in this life? Do we only serve the Lord because of how he blesses us? It's something we need to guard our hearts and check because there, I think we come short. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying we come short of so much more. Even the blessings of God are not going to satisfy your heart and life. The Lord's going to satisfy your heart and life. Having him as friend, having him as that pearl of great price with the, the merchant sold everything else that he could buy that one pearl of great price. And he was happy. People thought he was probably uh, foolish. He was happy because he had the pearl of great price. That is Jesus Christ. I love, we all think about, uh, you know, when I think about Job, we think about how he suffered in the trials and so forth. But the Bible says that Satan came to the Lord and says, did Job fear God for naught or for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about 
all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. He, Job, uh, Satan is saying, he, remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's coming to Almighty God, Job's God. And he's saying, the only reason this man down here on earth serves you, God, is because you have put a hedge around him, protecting him, and you have blessed his substance. And he was. He was wealthy. He, he was prosperous and so forth. And he says, that's the only reason. But put, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he has. Touch his stuff. Touch his worldly possessions, even his family. And listen, he will curse thee to thy face. He's an accuser of the brethren, right? He's also a liar and the father of lies. I'm so glad when I read that and I'm think, about, think about that, I'm so glad the devil was wrong. I'm so glad Satan was wrong. He's intimidating. He can be intimidating to us, but he's a liar. And he's the father of lies. I'm so glad he was wrong. Let me tell you Job's testimony. Was he perfect? Not by a long shot. Did he complain? Yes, he complained. All of it, though, the Bible says he didn't sin or accuse God falsely. Job's testimony was, though he slay me. Satan didn't know he's going to say that. You take his stuff from him. You've just blessed him, and so he serves you. Stop blessing him and take your hand of protection off. See what he does, then he'll curse you. He's wrong. Hallelujah. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He's loving God for God. Did he hurt? Yeah, he hurt. He had heartache? Yeah, he had serious heartache. To the end that man may find nothing after him. That's why God did what he did to Job. He wasn't being cruel. Some serve God because of the blessings of God only. And as soon as they might stop noticing the blessings and the benefits, they think it's not worth it any longer. Let me tell you the best by far is to have God and have him for himself. I can't say that I'm there. I would say I'm getting there and I want to be there. I know it spiritually in my, in my heart and mind. That is where the Lord wants us to bring us. Like John the Beloved. Why did Jesus love John more? I don't know that Jesus did love John more of all the disciples. Why is he called John the Beloved? Because everywhere Jesus was, John was sticking to him like glue. That was his own choice. Nothing else in life was more uh, desirable to John than Jesus Christ himself. He was right in there. Couldn't get away from him. Didn't want to get away from it. And that grows, y'all. It does grow. We don't just go from not being an f- intimate friend with God to perfectly a friend of God like John the Beloved. We grow in that. That relationship grows greater and greater, deeper and deeper, lovelier and lovelier to the place where our love for God surpasses all other desires. Everything is left in the rearview mirror. Everything else. There's lots of things in your life and in my life, but they just seem unimportant. They become vague in that sense. We're not, we haven't lost our minds. We have given our lives to Christ fully, and we have him, and we desire him. We cherish him, and we hold to him, and we delight in him. We're satisfied with him, not only what he can do for us. 
It says in the Song of Solomon, he brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me was love. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. That was it. I belong to my beloved. My belong, beloved belongs to me. And they're totally overjoyed, totally satisfied and content. So I'm going to bring this. I'm not going to talk too much longer this morning, but I do want you to stick with me. I am not asking you to raise your hand or to speak out loud, but I want you to be honest with yourselves. Are you disappointed with God? Are you disappointed with God? Is there some discontentment as a Christian, as a believer? The Israelites in the wilderness were dissatisfied with the Lord, right? He was their God. He made a covenant with them. He bore them through the desert like a a mother would bear a little child. He carried them. He gave them the water and the manna from heaven and defeated defeated their enemies that attacked them in the wilderness. And and, uh, their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. And it was just amazing what he did. But they were dissatisfied with the Lord. They wanted to make other gods And they made the golden calf, right? And said, these be our gods and we want to go back to Egypt. To say that they were dissatisfied with God or disappointed with God is an understatement. But I'm going to ask you this question. I know we're too, uh, we would never say those words. And I would not expect you to say, I'm disappointed with God. But are you, in some measure, disappointed with God? And you would have to ask the question, why? Why are you, or why am I, disappointed with God? And I believe it would come to this, if we are. In your view, your estimation of, you have not found God to be what you expected him to be. You have, in your view, or my view, I have not found that the Lord has proven himself to be what I thought he would be or should be to me. And here's what it comes down to this. Things have not gone as you wanted them to go. Can I find one person in this room that says everything in my life since I've been a Christian up until this day has gone exactly like I wanted it to go? None. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In this world you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer. Why? It comes back to Christ. I've overcome the world. So my cheer is in the Lord. Amen? Our cheer is in the Lord. But we're dissatisfied with God, disappointed in God, because things have not gone the way we wanted them to go. Life has not gone the way I wanted it to go. And I'm a Christian. And so we're disappointed Listen, if only things had worked out like I wanted them to, how pleased we would be with God. If only things had worked out like I wanted them to, how pleased we would be with God. How quickly we would say to others, the Lord is faithful. God is true. I love the Lord. But because things have, have not worked out, 
to sing in a different tune. We might say the words with our mouth, praise God. Why would we be so quick to pray, be pleased with God and praise him when everything's working out the way we want to? And not at other times, but now things are not working out. Things are not working out. Things are not easy. Life is hard. Things are hard. Life is difficult. Things are going against us. And because things are going against us, we feel bad. I just simply say to myself, not to you, is God not still near when life is hard, when things are not working out? I prayed and prayed and prayed for this, and it didn't come to pass. Life's hard. Things are not working out. I know we have ups and downs, and sometimes they are going well. I'm just saying in general, if we're disappointed in God, a lot of times it's because things didn't work out like we wanted them to. And yet, does God not still hold us in his hands at all times? Even when things are not working out the way we wanted them to? Is he, does he not still care for us? And so we're not as quick to praise God now because things aren't working out. I simply say, Lord, help us. I really mean that. Help us. Help me. Help me to trust you. Help me to believe you. Help me to draw near to you. That, that, that you might bring me to the end where I find nothing after God. I've got God and I'm content with God. And I'm satisfied with God. Blessings come and go. Blessings from the Lord come and go. I close with this. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. We would never be disappointed with God. If we would come to the place where our objective is the Lord. We would never be dissatisfied when he is our goal. We come to the place where he's our goal. He's our objective. Not merely the blessings of God. Not merely everything the Lord answered this, this, this. And it's just like I wanted it to be. Life is just like I wanted it to be. Anybody can praise God in that time. If we've come to the place where the Lord is our objective and our goal and our end all of end alls, we would never be dissatisfied. Because we have him. We have him as a friend. We have him for himself. Why should it be so rare to find a man like this in the house of God or a woman like this? Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head. This is after his children had been died. All of it happened literally in a matter of moments. When one finished speaking about the tragedy of losing all of his cattle, the next guy said, you lost all your donkeys. Next guy says, you lost all your camels. The next guy says, well, all your children were having a big feast in the house and the big wind blew and the roof fell flat and killed them all. <laughs> this is one after the other. And it says, then Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down to the ground and worshiped. This is what we're talking about. How many serve God just because he blesses them? What about when he doesn't? He's still a blessing. He's the blessed one. He's the one. He's the blessing. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name 
of the Lord. Abraham was a friend of God. I want to be a friend of the Lord. D, you can come up. I want to read this. I've been reading a book by A.B. Simpson. He says this. He says, the way of life demands that we shall get before the Lord again and say, Lord, through all my, though all my earthly prospects fade, though all my ambitions are disappointed, it is you I want. You are my ambition, my goal. If I have you, these other things will count for much less. If I have you and realize that I have the Lord and walking in the ways of God and with God, we're going to be satisfied. The things come and go. The things from God to your life are blessings. They come and go. But he's the one that abides forever. He's the one that satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. It's the Lord, and it's the Lord alone. The Bible says, a man that has friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all stand with me. I want to close with this just while Dee's playing. It goes perfectly with our Sunday school lesson this morning from Psalm 37. I'll read this, and the altar's open even now, y'all. From Habakkuk, chapter 3. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Father, we pray that you would give us such a heart as Habakkuk. Lord, we don't want to be a friend of this world. We don't even want to simply be a friend of the blessings of God. We want to be a friend of God and known as a friend of God. We want to befriend the Lord and be satisfied and content. Lord, I thank you that you're working to that end and you're graciously stripping away from our hearts and lives things that have a place in our lives that are too important. Oh God, help us not to serve you just because of your blessings. Help us and draw near to God for you. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. God, help us to praise you and love you and worship you. Naked came we out of our mother's womb and naked we're going to return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Help us to fall down and worship when the fig tree is not blossoming and there's no herds in the stalls, God. When life is not the way we want, we find it to be difficult. God, I thank you that you can make a roadway in the wilderness through a difficult life, God. I thank you that you uphold us. I thank you that you love us, God. Help us to be content with you and with you alone, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.